0: Hi, this is Savannah.
1: And this is Brian from the Dorky Diva Show.
0: And you're listening to Star Wars.
1: The best place for below average Star Wars. In a
2: world where people need 80s and 90s movie reviews, two regular Geordies combine forces to bring you the Brother to Brother 80s and 90s movie review podcast. Check them out on Twitter, YouTube, and all decent podcast vendors. Hello, average stars. Hello there, and welcome to the Star Wars show—the best place for below-average Star Wars. I am the Jolly Jedi Pete.
0: I'm Kat Rysielka.
3: And, and I'm Jason Hondo-Ling.
2: And we've got some bugs in the system there. Is it the Jawa Tiga, stealing our microphones? Maybe. Are we going to buy them back clean? Maybe. We're here to talk Obi-Wan Kenobi, episode one. Kat, how excited are you that we've finally got this Kenobi show here?
0: I am so excited. I mean, actually... It was one of those shows that I actually wasn't, like, super excited for the first episode because Obi-Wan has never been my favourite Star Wars character. I think he made a lot of mistakes and this first episode just absolutely blew my mind. I thought the storytelling was on point and... Ewan McGregor has completely embraced Obi Wan's character. I actually think this is his best acting as Obi Wan.
2: I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about sort of storytelling being sort of fantastic. I think we get that from the very beginning where we get the sort of the beautiful recap of the prequels and you know this whole trilogy that happened before the events of this series. um, I thought the recap was beautiful. I thought you know it really dives into that Obi Wan Anakin sort of relationship. Um it, it it talks about sort of, you know, the it sheds more light on on Jude of the Fates and how important that Jude of the Fates is and, you know, how Qui Gon's death, you know, leads Anakin to sort of, you know, having this young young Jedi who's just became a Jedi Knight gonna be not just his master but also his brother and how does that work? Does it end up well? Um you know, it sets up the tone of the show. I think Um of that. Jason, let's go to you. Sort of, what were your thoughts on on this on this beautiful sort of prequel recap? It was something I was not expecting, but once it came on, I thought, "Hey, this is beautiful. This is masterful, and this is really simply executed to like the the best it could be."
3: Yeah, it was like um, they they expertly put the story of the prequel trilogy into what. What was it about thirty, forty seconds, something like that, maybe a bit longer. It just seemed to fly by, but it show it brought you right the way through. So if you go into Obi Wan completely blind, I think you get such a taste that you can then tell where the story's picking up from. Um and you know, it was it was the perfect introduction. Um, and then obviously the the way the episode began. For me, was um, it? Uh, I th- the opening sequence in the Jedi Temple for me was actually beautifully shot. It was um, it, it was just yeah, it brought us straight into where we are in the galaxy far, far away at this point in time.
2: Yeah, I think I think if it's on the head, there. I think you know this, this whole recap, you know, it, it sort of. It dealt with sort of Palpatine groom Anakin, Anakin's fall, the tragedy of it. Um, I think there's something poetic about the opening sequence after the after the recap, um, where we see you know this beautiful shot of Coruscant in the evening in the Jedi Garden area, the day and we see the younglings training with their master, um, and then obviously chaos ensues with Order sixty six, and I think you know we see these children sort of deal with the tragedy with the Fall of the Jedi. And it's almost like what we were like as well, certainly me and Kat, you know, as as sort of young people at the time watching the prequel trilogy. Um age group watching it. And, and I know Kat came in with with the Force Awakens, but you know, I think our generation who who watched the prequels um you know sort of seeing seeing that tragedy fall sort of like it has a sort of a hidden meaning for that um cut what we all thought on the on the recap on the opening sequence
0: it was really interesting because we've we've never really had like something that before um for star wars and it worked so well to have the prequels uh distilled down into sort of those key moments that defined not only obi-wan's character but anakin's as well and it flowed so well and the mixture of quotes then in the background from um yoda qui-gon it was it was beautifully tragic and i think if anything it only added to the cinematic vibe of uh of of this episode i don't know what it is about this particular um Particular episode, but I don't know. It felt more cinematic to me than The Mandalorian uh, or The Book of Boba Fett.
2: Yeah, I think I think the you know the the director of photography has done a fantastic job of of setting this up. The way like as beautifully shot as the prequels were. It follows sort of that that sort of look, um, and, it, and it and it is sort of very beautiful and. For, the landscape seem huge, even though it's you know some so it's still set within you know the stagecraft and the and in, in the volume set that they have at Lucasfilm. Um, it Lucasfilm it it does seem to be a lot a lot broader and wider. Um, let's dive into that opening sequence. You know we, we start off with as I said you know rooftop Coruscant garden on the Jedi Temple. Younglings are sort of meditating, doing a bit of yoga type of exercise, Um and then. Clone troopers, live action clone troopers, come through the door, blasting. Um, the Jedi Master, who's teaching them, um, sort of goes to defend the younglings. They end up sort of racing through the corridor. You can just see tragedy around. You know, the Jedi fallen to the sheer numbers of the clone troopers, the five oh first. Um, Anakin's in there somewhere. We don't see him, he's in there somewhere, leading this onslaught onto the Jedi temple. Um, and then finally, the Jedi Master gets shot down, and the younglings, you know, gather around. and they say what now, and they sort of say, "We have to run." Um. Obviously a lot of thoughts got into who these giantlings are and how one of them could be the Inquisitor, third sister Reva. I think one of them is Reva, the third sister. Jason, let's go to you. Sort of what was your thoughts on, on the death of this Jelly Master and just how tragic this scene was at the end?
3: Yeah, this um this to me was um what we needed to see to show the devastation of order 66 and also how you know obviously um the effect on the younger jedis obviously potentially are going to appear in obi one, and obviously you're going to need to the audience needs to be able to know if you're coming in fresh why these jedi are hiding um there's one thing that with this entire thing, and I don't know, I think I've noticed it in the films as well. What is it with stormtroopers that when they get shot, they have to twist their bodies around so that they then face the camera before they have their death scene? Um, it just seemed that every single one was sort of blasted and turned just so that they could be seen on camera. But I, I don't know, it just it made me chuckle um, as I was watching it. Um, Although I do think that um, later on when we see Obi-Wan using his blaster, I I think the Stormtroopers have obviously improved with their blasting as well. Um, But no, the sequence itself was, I just think, beautiful. Um, I am convinced that Reva was one of those, was the particular Jedi, the youngling that says i think it's we have to run um and i just uh, because like you say it's poetic characters and scenes are always there for a reason in star wars um and also characters quite often have a very simple place because they're going to appear later on in in the the saga um so yeah i i this was the way to begin it for the audience and for the story, I think. Um, and obviously then it leads into Obi-Wan being hiding and everything, which, again, more beautiful scenes as it as the story unfolds. I think one of the
2: things it did for me as well is obviously in that, in that beautiful prequel recap, we didn't get Anakin in the chamber with the younglings when he turns the lightsaber on when they're begging for help um yeah but i feel we've seen here showing you the longlings on the run sort of brought that back to it reminding you of it subtly um so it's so of yeah. again sort of you know, dual mean it's showing you you know just how tragic this moment is um how you know these children are going to run how one of them could be connected to one of our characters and also tying it back to you know one of our main characters of this show which is anakin skywalker slash radar um whether he's in it much or not you know his presence is a big part of the show um you know, showing you what, what that character has has done in the past. Um, Kat, did you cry much at this scene?
0: Oh, very little in the, in Star Wars makes me cry. I can think of two scenes that make me cry in the whole saga. Um, but I did find this opening extremely harrowing, because it goes from this gorgeous sort of peacefulness on Coruscant. We actually see some greenery, which we know is very rare on the city planet, and then you have, you know, the the brutality of Order 66 and this uh, Jedi Master desperately trying to protect these younglings. And, oh, it was, you know what's going to happen. And you don't want it to happen because you want everybody to be safe. But the tragedy is that nobody can be. And, you know, seeing those children have to, to run and hide it was it was it's quite a hard hard thing to watch. And it's sort of this jump scare opening to to the show. But I don't think anybody was expecting. I think we were all expecting it to open on Tatooine. Um but it it does set the story of, you know, why the Jedi are in hiding and quite possibly some kind of backstory for the Third Sister. I do definitely believe that the scene has deeper meaning than to simply connect it to the prequels, and I think I think we're going to learn more about this scene. I suspect we might see it again, but from a different character's point of view.
2: Can I who you think the other character could be?
0: Well, I do. I do wonder if we're going to go back to that scene and sort of have if if one of the younglings is Reva, if we're going to see that scene from her point of view and the jedi fall from her point of view because we do know she does have some connection to the jedi order and it, it doesn't it doesn't bring back good memories for her we can tell that
2: definitely you know we go from this sequence to 10 years later and we see a sort of a city shot of Moss eisley um and straight away we have the Inquisitors landing, so we're straight into the thick of the episode. You know, I think we spoke in the run up to the to the show coming about, you know, why would the Inquisitors come to Tatooine? And it's answered straight away, they're here because, um, a Jedi's been sighted in a in a saloon in a cantina helping an owner, um, nothing to do with the Kenobi, um, a, a different Jedi who's on a run, um, and we, we sort of get this gorgeous scene where. We have the Inquisitors arrive, land in the middle of the street. Um, the Grand Inquisitor delivers this sort of delicious speech about why they're here and how they're going to catch this Jedi. And he's very calm about it and very um, scheming and, you know, he sort of believes every word he says. Um, we also find out here sort of rever the third sister, the Inquisitor is at odds with the Grand Inquisitor. Um, and the fifth brother about how they should do things. Um, what were your thoughts on sort of the Inquisitor's and reduction and sort of this scene in the in the saloon slash canteen? Um
3: I'm gonna I'm gonna come in here and possibly make a comment that people won't like, but I still don't like the Grand Inquisitor, um, and obviously. <laughs> It's not because of Rupert Friend, because I think he is... I've seen him in other shows and loved him as an actor. But there's just something... I think Jason Isaacs, for me, created the character in the animation. And I'm hoping that it's going to turn out that this Grand Inquisitor is slightly different to the one from Rebels. Because, for me, it's just not the Grand Inquisitor I really wanted. Um, the opening sequence with them flying in and like you say beautifully done um, very menacing the way the ship flew over um, and the the ship itself reminds me of obviously like um, Kylo um, yeah Kylo Ren's ship or the um, is it the Knights of Ren's ship very sort of similar sort of design and that and it just it was great seeing that coming but uh, there's something about the inquisitors that i think because um they were created so well in rebels and the way they're done uh, for me they're just not transferring to live action quite how i wanted them to be you know um For one thing, they said it was um, part of the design, was the physicality and what had to be done for stunts and everything. So far, what we've seen, there was nothing stunning about any of the sequences. So um, I'm hoping that's going to come out later on in the series, because otherwise, for me, that's been quite a disappointment.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we, we, we've been only reviewing episode one here today. Obviously, there's been three episodes released. I think we've still got only halfway through this movie. And as you know, in movies, all the best stuff happens in the final act. So, you know, True. watch this space, I think. I liked how, sort of, you know, I think it, in these scenes here where we see sort of Reva interacting with with the Grand Inquisitor, with the fifth brother. Um, you know, she does seem very sort of full-on as a character, but in that full-onness, there's also a sense of desperation, that she's sort of desperate to find these Jedi. But I, not because she hates Jedi, I don't think. I, I think it's, it's more that sort of, is it is it a ways to a means? I think, you know, it's hinted in this episode that, you know, she wants to get Kenobi. Because she wants to get an audience with Darth Vader. Um and, and, and why is that? Um so you know, I think as this season goes on, we're gonna learn more about Moses Ingram's character of Reva or Reva, um the third sister. But yeah, she she seems to be almost more full on than the other Inquisitors, but then also like I said, there seems to be like that lack of full faith in what they're doing if that makes sense um so know it'll be interesting to see cap what were your thoughts on sort of on reva or reva's sort of um portrayal here in the first episode
0: well i think firstly i need to say that i loved moses ingram's portrayal of reva um her acting was was fantastic um i mean i loved her in the queen's gambit and like think she's doing a, a fantastic job with the character. I do agree that she does seem very intense. Um and even for a dark side, she seems like very hot headed and very sort of aggressive. But I I think there is reasoning behind that. I mean she's not just acting like this um fauna no reason. Um there's hidden motives with reaver and what i did love was the sense of discord amongst the inquisitors you can see that even though the grand inquisitor is supposed to be in charge they're not doing what he's saying not even the fifth brother and i think it's sort of hinting at the reason the rule of two exists is that amongst darksiders and sith they just um they can't get along. They because they're all power-hungry, and um, because they've all got their hidden agendas, they're always uh, butting heads with one another. Uh, what I actually... Yeah, and that's one thing I actually noticed about both the fifth brother and Reva is they're not actually Sith. They're just Darksiders. So I don't know if... I don't know if that's sort of got some kind of hidden hidden meaning for Reva in that she's not a fully-fledged Sith, I don't know if that's going to play out at some point, uh, or if that maybe is why um, the Grand Inquisitor has such distaste for her. You know, because she's not like a fully fledged Sith, um, he won't warrant her the res- the same level of respect um, that he would perhaps like the second sister or um, the seventh sister. Um, so, yeah, I also, think I
2: think you bang on when you're saying about there's definitely something underneath. Moses' performance, where there's something we haven't learned yet, but it's lingering mm-hmm. under the surface, and we're going to learn it as the series goes on. Um, about sort of why she's doing what she's doing, um, and sort of why is she being so intense? And you know, I think I think we're going to get those reasons. I think there's a lot of character left there to, you know, to develop this series. Um, I think it's going to be you know, story is about Anakin and Obi Wan, Anakin and Vader, but we're also going to see some of that story through through this young woman's eyes um, whose life's been affected by both of them and, and their battles um, and is continuing in the series to be affected by by the, their battles. Go ahead, Jason.
3: I I actually have a bit of a theory that I, I wonder if by the end of the series um, the character of Reva is going to be redeemed Somehow, And I wonder if that is part of what this, um, you know, part of the reason why if we suddenly got this Inquisitor that's actually been given a name, um, because obviously from what we know, the Inquisitors in the past, we've never really had a name. It's always been, you know, a brother and sister and whichever number they happen to be. So uh, I, there's something about this character, like you say, and for me, I've got no problem with Moses Ingram. I actually, uh, her intensity for me, I think because I already believed once I'd seen that first scene and then saw her character, I made the jump to that youngling is that Inquisitor very quickly. Um, so I sort of, for me, I've sort of thought, right, this this youngster's been on a on a journey, then with the comments that have been made, you know, that obviously she's considered not quite worthy of the Inquisitors. For me, her intensity is she's trying to prove herself. And I think, uh, you know, as a youngling that's been displaced, if that is what plays out, that makes perfect sense to me. You know, she's, she's trying to prove that she can survive, and she's seen... Potentially, she's seen something that a lot of other people wouldn't even dream of seeing. So, that's obviously going to have had an effect on her. So, I, personally, um, and you know, the, the fact that there's been a lot of discord over Moses Ingram and the character of Reaver, I think, is completely unplaced um, because I think she's doing a fantastic job. Um, and for me, she's one of the characters that actually stands out.
2: Yeah, she's definitely like the third lead in this series be, behind sort of Anakin and Obi-Wan. I know Anakin's not being in it much, but like, like I said, his presence is, is all over this and his relationship and, you know, she's, she's definitely the, the third most important character in the series so far, is what I'd say. Um, and I, I agree. I think I think she is the, the Padawan we see. So either this Padawan, sorry, youngling, she goes on the run, lives a life for a couple of years finally gets captured by the dark side and gets turned into inquisitor or maybe she's captured in the temple there and then and becomes a dark sider there and then but it's one of those things where you know she's obviously trying to prove herself very fast and very quickly and very aggressively um which is what all dark siders want to do so it's the best way to get attention but for me it's i think it's this is down to mose's performance which is fantastic i think the motives aren't there yet, which is what we, we don't want to know that yet. You know, we want to learn that when the storyteller society to tell us that, you know, down the line. But I think, you know, is it because she wants to be the right hand of Vader? Is it because she wants to replace Vader? Or is it because she wants Vader to free her from the Inquisitors? Like, I'll give you Kenobi, then you set me free so I can just get away from all of this. I should never have went the Giant oh. Temple on the first place. Um, and I think all well, of those th- options are, are powerful.
3: Could I chuck in a fourth option? course you can that she is actually um almost a a, uh double agent and that by proving herself she's attempting to get closer to vader so she can take him out for his crimes against the jedi
0: and i've got a fifth option she's doing this to protect somebody and she's going to bargain uh, with kenobi for somebody else's life
2: Quite all again, all, all very good options. And I think you know, some there's something that we're gonna learn. Could be a couple of things, could be one thing, but I think I'm excited to see where, where A the story takes us and where Moses' performance takes us because so far it's gripping and we can see the cracks, we can see there's something there deep down. And when they decide to show us that, I can't wait for sort of the shock value we're gonna get in the series. Um moving on from that we then sort of see Tatooine, the Dunes, Obi-Wan Kenobi going about his daily business. Um, he's working on a sort of a meat form. Um, is this some sort of crashed space beast, like a pergle? Or is it left over from when ta- we had an ocean? For me, if it was left over from when ta- we had an ocean, the meat wouldn't be fresh. And it looks like it's got like a crash line where it's crashed in the sand.
3: Yeah.
2: What's your thoughts, Jason? Yeah,
3: I'd, I'd agree with you on that. It's... um It's... It's a strange sort of creature. It, it, it the whole scene for me is um and the whole build up. You know you've got this giant creature there. Obviously we've seen um in like um the Mandalorian um with the crate dragon and how they all feasted on that and it it instantly brought that back to me seeing that creature. Obviously it wasn't a crate dragon, but then you know what other creatures are there on or above Tatooine. Um, But it's the way that they've sort of set up this factory right beside it and have started processing the meat, I thought. Um, And obviously then Obi-Wan secretly weaning away a little piece of meat just so that he's got some food. Um, Yeah, it it was just Tatooine for me. It showed, you know, how to survive. They find a way and they forage to get what they can from this desolate planet.
2: Kat, do you think it's some sort of purgle from Rebels, or do you think it's a different type of animal?
0: It's really interesting. I've been sort of looking at a lot of the uh, chatter on Twitter about it, and a lot of people have pointed out that, yeah, it is actually quite similar to a purgle um like the the fins and some of the ridges do look like it could belong to a purgle um which who knows maybe that's gonna like link to the uh ahsoka series but it's it's really hard to tell and i i think the the mystery of it is it's <laughs> is almost it's is, is very interesting um but it's definitely not a crate dragon and I agree, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be something that's crashed because there's no way, even if it'd been trapped in the sands, that it could be like some kind of leftover uh fish from when Talloween had water.
2: Yeah, I think I think for me it looks like a sort of like a space stingray almost. Um if anything we need a we need a visual dictionary for the Kenobi series, then we'll know exactly what it is. I wonder if, you know, say you know Obviously, we've seen the Space Purgle, which are the Space Whales, that are sort of these Space Whales that travel through space and they can travel through hyperspace um, in Rebels. Doesn't mean to say they're the only creature who can do it, so maybe the Space Stingray or, like, a sort of a, a similar species to the Purgle. But who's to say that, like, pirates don't hunt them, shoot them down, and then when they crash on the planet's surface, they can go down and set these meat shops up. Maybe that could be, like, some sort of, like, hunting hunting gang or something. But... um. Yeah, I think I love the fact Kenobi takes a bit of food. And, you know, when you first see him take it, you're like, oh, is that how bad things are? He needs to take that food to eat. But then we see him feed to Easy Obi. It's not for him, it's for Easy Obi. I think this episode, you know, it says, you know, Obi Wan makes, does some things where, you know, he's trying to stay hidden. Not just for his sake, but for Luke's sake. But there's moments like this when he's taking that bit of meat and he's feeding it to Easy Obi. And, and again, it shows you how sort of, how given he is. You know, he, he takes that little bit. Not for himself, but for his for his creature, for his animal. That's his, Probably one of his. He's one of his only friends here on 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 Tatooine. Um. I think from sort of, from this, you know, we see Obi Wan and we go home? Um. We then see can only other friend is Tiga, the who who's you know, seems to have a good relationship with Kenobi, makes some jokes about Kenobi's smell. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Um, You can see Kenobi clearly, you know, enjoys his interactions with Tika. I think he's probably one of the only people he interacts with, apart from, you know, he interacts with EZOB, who, you know, isn't very sentient. Obviously he interacts with Tika the Jawa, who is sentient. And then he's only that person who really interacts with his own laws, who put the probably aren't the, the most fun of conversations he has with one. Um. What were your thoughts on Tika Cat um, and what were your thoughts on on the item that Tika's brought will be one that we've been asking for?
0: Oh my goodness. Tika was an absolute standout from this um, whole episode for me. I thought they were absolutely hilarious. And it's sort of we needed that moment because the whole episode has this very uh, uh, sort of almost depressing brevity, and yet in comes Tika to sort of lighten lighten everything up. But I think maybe that's why Obi Wan actually enjoys sort of dealing with Tika is the fact that Tika can provide a bit of uh, of lightness uh, in the dark that he's currently found himself within. But I love I loved Tika's line of you know cleaning costs extra. These Jawas, in fact, everybody on Tatooine is just so enterprising. Um, it It's quite a rip-off. <laughs> but yes, and then, oh my goodness, we see Tika give Obi-Wan a very battered, run-down, really in need of a clean um, toy, and that's the uh, Model T-16 Skyhopper that Luke plays with in A New Hope. What I loved about this reference was just how subtle it was. It was just put in there. um, It's sort of a blink and you miss it moment in A New Hope. And it's just this this lovely callback to that moment. And to know that what Luke was playing with actually was a gift from Obi-Wan long ago. When, you know, Obi-Wan hardly had any money to be spending on toys. Which feels really close to the truth right now. Um... But it was just perfectly woven into the story. And, yeah, I absolutely love that.
2: Jason, what are your thoughts on Tiga, the Jawa?
3: Again, like Kat said, magic. Um, it brings us, again, you know, very much ensconced in Tatooine from what we remember. Um, obviously, the Jawas have been a huge part and thanks to Mandalorian, we've seen that they don't just exist on Tatooine and we see this whole thing. Um, I've actually got a couple of friends that are Jawa's and every time I see a Jawa, I can just imagine these people in their costumes just having fun. And anyone that's met the Jawa's knows that that is the big thing with them. They are a lot of fun. And that's what this scene suddenly breaks down because we've had a lot of quite heavy stuff leading up to this and then all straight away we've got this little bit of comedy Ewan mcgregor plays it brilliantly um you know it, he's got this character in front of him that, you know it's like they've said in the past with the mandalorian you've got this helmeted character there's no expressions you've got to react and but you can imagine the noises that they were probably making on set and the fun they probably had doing this scene and again you know when when you saw them him take that model and you're like oh my god i know where i've seen that from before and it just does it it brings it out perfectly um for me that scene was one of the best scenes to bring you into the world of obi-wan um, and obviously, you know, then we've got where we see him when we meet him in New Hope, obviously living out in the desert. Um, and, you know, you you can now see where he's come from, from, you know, the Obi-Wan that we leave at the end of Revenge of the Sith to the Obi-Wan that we meet in A New Hope. Um, so, yeah, um, any, any scene with a Jawa in it, just... It's gonna be good for me.
2: Yeah, I think I think the humor was fantastic. The humor of, you know, you get the operator sort of having problems in the background. Obi Wan's my operator. The Jawa says, "Oh, you got problems." And Kobe says, "Like, yes, I've had this part stolen." And the Jawas like, "Oh, I've got the part here." And those you can always like, you know, implies that the Jawas stolen it. Um, they make a joke about the Jawa says, "We know I am clean it for you, but it's extra." Um, and Kobe sort of goes along with it because again, I think he enjoys this. He enjoys his interactions with Tigger. You know, you'll settle for Tika stealing the odd thing for him. You know, A for the interactions, of B, Tika's found on this toy. I think the toy is um, important. I think, you know, we see Luke with the toy in A New Hope and how he, the toy's part of Luke's looking to the stars and wanting to get off the planet and that sense of adventure. And that's the reason why Luke ends up going where he goes. So I think it's Obi-Wan trying to breed that in Luke. Like, you know, you know, don't need to be a Misha farmer. Like he has a he has a toy spaceship he has a toy speeder, you know. Imagine what the future can be. You can go anywhere. Um, so I think that's Obi Wan trying to breed this in Luke from a young age by giving him by giving him this toy. Um, I think Obi Wan's cave, you know, I, I think he's done it out quite well. It's Like humble beginnings, like I said, he hasn't, you know, later on, and you hope you see Obi Wan's house. He has a house, you know doesn't have that yet though but I like the fact you know he has a moisture operator you know inside he has his little food operator set up he has his little bit outside where he goes and sits and eats um you know he has his little hook for his bag um and obviously we see we see sort of Obi-Wan go to go to bed this evening and have sort of dreams nightmares of Anakin turning and not just that but where Anakin started to where he ended up um and we see Obi Wan sort of wake up and sort of, you know, sort of asks for Qui Gon. So, you know, it's sort of hint that you know, Obi Wan's aware of his other mission is to try and make contact with Qui Gon. As to how often he tries it, we don't know, and does he know how to try it, we don't know. But he's he's aware of it, but he's not really getting any good results. And um, what were your thoughts on Obi Wan's nightmare slash dreams, cutting and I'm sort of them calling out for Qui Gon?
0: Oh like i said i mean when it comes to obi-wan's character i've you know i've i've liked him but he, in one episode my my heart broke for him and now i feel so many feelings for poor obi-wan um it actually do you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of in um, revenge, of the, revenge of the sith he says to anakin dreams will pass um but clearly for obi-wan himself they aren't passing I mean, I suspect he's probably been having these nightmares for the 10 years he's been on Tatooine. And, you know, the way he calls out for Qui-Gon, it's so broken. It's like he knows Qui-Gon will answer. The way he says it, it's like he said it, you know, a hundred times before, and he's used to silence answering. And it's a very sort of heartbreaking scene because... The Obi Wan we knew from the prequels was so confident and self assured, but you know the man now that we see is just—he's broken, and you can see how you can see how much faith he's lost because because of the way he's asking for for Qui Gon, but not truly believing that Qui Gon will answer.
2: Definitely, we then sort of see Obi Wan, you know. Venture out to the Laws homestead. Um, you know he leaves the the toy there for Luke to find in the morning, um, and then he sort of you know rides off. On his ride back, we sort of get some camera angles, some you know that sort of insists that he's being watched. My first thought was, is it Tusken Raiders? Um, and then I thought, is it the Inquisitors? And obviously, we find out it's the it's the Jedi who. Um, who the Inquisitors have come to have be been looking for, and this Jedi has noticed Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, Jason, what were your thoughts on on this sort of on this scene, and also the interaction between Obi Wan and the Jedi?
3: Yeah, the the Jedi Nari. Obviously, we've already seen him escape the Inquisitors. So, uh, as you say, the whole sequence as he's riding back, and look, you can tell he's being watched. And like you, I was thinking, oh, are we going to get Tusken Raiders here? Is he going to are they going to try and ambush him? Um, And yeah, and then obviously it was when he steps out of the shadows and calls him Master because obviously he's recognised Obi Wan Kenobi. So obviously at some point he's seen him at the Jedi Temple. You would expect. Um, Could he have been one of the younglings that we saw? i doubt it but it's you know it's one of these things that you've you know this character knows who obi-wan is and even though obi-wan clearly is being caught out he still insists no my name's ben um and it's almost quite shocking to see him turn his back on this young jedi um and obviously you know without obi-wan's help he's going to be in a very precarious situation but at the same time obi-wan's one mission is to keep luke safe so therefore he cannot allow himself to be caught out um so it's clear he wants to get away from this jedi as quick as possible um so that he doesn't get caught by anyone um you know again you're the mcgregor yep
2: yeah. I think you've got to look at where this takes place. It, you know, Kenobi's not long left the Lars family homestead. Yeah. And then this Jedi's yeah. coming and, and close to it. So I think, you know, had this taken place further away, maybe I think he'd still be, no, I'm not going to help you, but he might give him better advice. But I think, you know, in this moment, Kenobi's very much like, hang on a second, like we we're right next to Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like this not be happening right here, right now. No way. Didn- no way can this be happening right here, right now
3: definitely it's um and it is his mission you know he's protecting this young boy um and it's played out brilliantly and the i think ewan mcgregor you can see in his face that he's torn that he does want to help him but he's got to deny who he is um which is obviously you know for someone the character we know of obi-wan kenobi is this great jedi knight from the the prequel series now we're seeing him that he's realized he's had to completely throw that person away for the sake of luke skywalker um so yeah i i love this scene i think it showed again great acting from ewan mcgregor but also how much this character is willing to give up to protect luke skywalker
2: Definitely. Just, to, I think we did we did miss it, so I think, you know, this this other character, this Jedi character, you know, the Inquisitors were alerted to him because he helped the saloon owner in Moss Eisley. Um, Red Raff throws a knife at the saloon owner, and the Jedi sort of stops it with the Force. That's how they find him. Um, yeah. The Inquisitor sort of let him go, which I think sort of makes sense, because I think they don't want to kill him. As we've seen in Star Wars Rebels, they like the sort of, um, and with the game Jedi Fallen Order, I like to capture Jedi or good side Force users and interrogate them for, um, you know, any of the locations of Jedi, and also if they can break them, these people could be future Inquisitors as well. Um, so sort of that 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 going on as to why sort of they didn't kill him there and then, um, but yeah, it'll be one thousand essentially going bury his lightsaber in the sand, um, you know, and, and try and live a normal life without avoid detection. You know, I think the Jedi mentions the war, and he's like, "The war's over. We lost." Um, and you know, I think, you know, I think this this, this Jedi is quite young. He's in his twenties by the looks of it. So you know, he would have been a he would have been a kid. So he would have been, yeah, been a youngling or a very young padawan when um, when Order Six happened. So he, he managed to survive, that we even get away. But I think you know, he Wan lived that war hugely, and knows what was lost. Um, so I think you really feel Obi Wan's voice when he says the war's over we lost. You no, know, I think it's the fight is over we've lost, is what he says. And you can really feel that in his voice. Kat, what were your thoughts on sort of Obi-Wan's interactions with this Jedi here in the desert?
0: This whole scene um reminded me a lot of the Obi-Wan we see portrayed in um the Star Wars comics and um Obi-Wan by uh, John Jackson Miller. In the fact that we've got Obi Wan in hiding, and he's having to—he's having to deny all of of his past and his connections to the Jedi. Um, you know that's why you know he's got the cha- name changed to Ben, and you can see how hard it is for him in this scene to not, you know, be compassionate, not show empathy. You know, he's going against everything he's ever believed in. You know he's already you know a broken man from what's happened on uh, Mustafar, and you know having to do that you can see it's it's breaking him even more. It's sort of tearing him up because it goes against his moral code. It goes against the Jedi code, but he has to protect himself and he has to protect Luke. And you can sort of see you can see the defeat in every in every line of his posture, it, and then he just. Tells uh, Nari to just to to deny who he is, and you know Nari doesn't want to do that. He sort of still believes in the Jedi, um, and he's trying to sort of insist that to Obi Wan. Um, and it's sort of that that young that young sort of flame of passion of, of still believing in the Jedi Order compared to Obi Wan's war weariness. Um, it was. So sort of this big contrast, and yeah, it was such a it was such a well written and well performed scene. I think that really um, drove home just where, just how far actually Obi Wan has fallen himself.
2: Definitely, definitely. I think from this from this scene, we sort of go to all Iran and we sort of see. Um, the other child of Anakin Skywalker, Princess Leia O'Garner. Um I love sort of all of these, you know, there was a couple of sequences and all around where we, we see Leia and, you know, she's quite, um, quite a cheeky and very mindful young girl, um, thinking for herself on a lot of things, um, very insightful, making decisions. Um, you know, we sort of see her struggling a bit with the sort of the lifestyle of a royal family member of um, But We also see, though, just how sweet moments she has with her foster mother and with her foster father, Bail Organa. Um, Kat, kind of what were your thoughts on sort of these these Alderan sequences on, you know, and on us getting to know Princess Leia?
0: I am absolutely here for all the layer content how they managed to keep this sort of so quiet and out of the trailers it just came as such a huge surprise it's like oh that's all around um and I absolutely loved little layer. um the way she's sort of running off getting into trouble wanting to watch the starships she she felt like she felt a lot like Luke, but at the same time, she felt so much like Anakin. I mean, everybody sort of says, you know, how Leia is very much like Brecha and very much like Padme. But you can see Anakin in her as well. And I think it was wonderful um for that to be portrayed because, you know, Leia isn't just the well-mannered diplomat. She's got she's got her dad's um spark in her too. And uh, every single interaction she has in this episode just had me smiling and laughing. Um, you know this this is how to portray um, the younger versions of our favorite characters. Uh, I loved her um her, her her body switching with like her little handmaiden, just like Padme, um, her interactions with Brecha. Uh, her her mother were really really cool and the way she just absolutely rips into her cousin go leia i think actually that could be a sign that she's using her force powers without even knowing it because she's almost being like an empath she's sort of feeling and almost get into the thoughts of the um the other characters so i think That's like her force power subtly coming through, which allows Leia to sort of be the diplomat she is. Um, But yeah, another little cool, cool fact for um, anybody who's watched this scene um, is that the wine Brecha and Bale are drinking, along with everybody else at the party, you'll notice is blue. And that's because on Alderaan, they drink a certain wine called Tonneray, which is blue. And that was first introduced by Claudia Gray in the book Bloodlines, and yeah, that's where it comes from.
2: I think you're bang on. I think she does use the Force to read a has been a little bully, and she sort of fights back with sort of some of um, some home truths about her cousin. And you can see it is the way her cousin reacts. She's hit the nail on the head with what she's saying, and I think she has used the Force to sort of not read his mind, but to sort of got that. Intuition, and I don't think she's done it on purpose, but I think it's just just her abilities or have has been used there without her sort of even realizing, almost like a sort of sort of subconsciously being used, um which I think is again is is, is pretty good. I think I'm really glad that for me, obviously we're going to find out at the end of the episode that you know there's a lot of talk in the build up what could get Obi Wan Kenobi to leave Tatooine? but of course the only thing I could get him to leave would be the Children of Anakin Skywalker, um, which is one of them is going to be the reason. I love how in the build-up they were sort of waving one hand over here, showing you Uncle Owen and Brew and Luke. And obviously, while we were all gobbling that up, the best thing is they were sort of on the other side when no one was looking. They were doing all this all the stuff, which is good, because it means when this when I watch this episode, when we went all the way off, I, I literally went, oh, wow. And, then I also, and I also went, this makes perfect sense. And I'm so glad I didn't didn't know about it going in because it's been a lovely surprise, and it makes perfect sense. The reason why, reason why he would leave, this is the only other reason why. Um, So yeah, so we essentially Leah ends up getting kidnapped. Um, You know, she ends up she often runs away from her parents and hides in the woods. Obviously, it's nice and safe in the olderan woods, but um, someone's been watching, following, seeing what she actually does. Actually, played by Flea, who is the bass player for the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, And she runs off into the woods here after an argument with her cousin um, after being asked to sort of apologise to him. Um, She runs into the forest to play. She ends up getting captured. Um, She tries to get away. In the sequence at that, reminded me of Ray training in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I don't know if you've got that, that vibe, Kat, or not
0: um yeah i sort of did and it also at the same time it did remind me a bit then um of endor as well because of the way she they were sort of zipping through the trees
2: yeah so definitely some awesome like sort of homage to you know future star wars movies and future characters sort of all linked um there but she ends up getting captured um and taken away and that's when we see obi-wan kenobi's comlink goes off in his chest you can see his face when it coming goes off. You can tell it's a bit like that hasn't gone off in ten years since I put it in there. I've not touched that since that, I put it in the box. And he takes the call, and it's Bill O'Gana and his wife asking for help. And Kenobi again is a bit like I'm here to watch the sun. Um, you guys are meant to be looking after the girl, get the bounty hunter. A few different suggestions. He also says he's not the man he was ten years ago. Um. See so yeah, how we sort of have that sequence it ends. I think then we also see Kenobi sort of going to town. Um. Point out in this order, what we see, see sort of Obi Wan goes back to his Yobi after working on the meat farm again. And uh, Owen Lars is there to chuck the toy at him that he's left for Luke at the Lars home Homestead. Cut what were your thoughts when Owen throws the toy at him? And also your thoughts with their interaction.
0: Oh, burn. It was harsh. Um, I, th- I think it's harsh though because Owen is protective of Luke and it's quite interesting to what he says to Obi-Wan. He says to Obi-Wan, um, you don't care if he's alive, you care if he's showing um, by that showing signs of his force powers coming through. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, Owen is aware of what happened to Anakin, and he doesn't want that for Luke. So it's he's he's been very protective, just sort of in a in a harsh way. But at the same time, he is sort of trying to um, isolate Luke because you know a, a starship toy would make him dream of the, the stars and something outside of Tatooine, and Owen doesn't want that for Luke. Possibly because Owen himself doesn't have it. Um, you know, he doesn't want... He wants Luke to be, you know, a hard-working farmer rather than a, a dreamer, which we know doesn't work. But, um... Yeah, it reminded me, actually, there there's a... Again, another scene from the comics where Owen says a very similar line of uh, haven't you killed enough Skywalkers? Um, which is reminiscent of the way he says like you trained his father. But yeah, I mean you can see it really it really hits a nerve with Obi Wan.
2: Yeah, I think I think the reference Wan reference a conversation where I think that you know, the first conversation is a wans probably agreed to say, yeah, when the boy's ready, like you'll have to come and train him a bit. But then as the years have gone on, it's a bit like no. Don't want that anymore. Um And then obviously, you know, after this sequence where, you know, they have an argument about about Luke. Um, which I thought was a bit unfair in Obi-Wan but I also understand where One's coming from I think, I think Obi-Wan is there for Luke he wants to look after Luke because he loves Anakin and he loves Anakin's children he loved Padme these were his friends these were his family um, and nobody wants to be in this situation this is the situation they're in um, so I think Obi-Wan obviously is a bit upset when the tie gets thrown but also you know he's very much like you know, I'm trying to show him there's a larger world you know, they obviously I disagree with the one for Luke. Owen tells him to sort of leave it. And then that's when we have the sequence where uh Reva interrogates Owen Laws in front of the town. Um in sort of a very cool sequence. Um what were your thoughts on this sequence, um,
3: Jason? Can I can I just rewind a bit? Because um I the this whole, th- the whole sequence so far, I think, has brought in and finally given two really good actors a chance to shine. Um, first of all, Jimmy Smiths and his interactions with the young Leia, I think, are some of the most beautiful scenes that we've seen in this entire first episode um he for me he was always an underused actor in the prequels so i'm glad that this series has brought him back um the young actress that's playing leia is perfect to portray a young leia and i saw some really really disappointing stuff which you always see because it was basically clickbait but, the you know, straight away, because of comments that Kathleen Kennedy made about not recasting characters, they said, oh, but they've recast Leia. They haven't recast Leia. They have cast a young actress to play a part that Carrie Fisher would have never played. If they'd have used Leia as a youngster in the films, they would have had to use a younger actress. And what they've done is they've cast a brilliant young actress who, for me, and like I've seen the photographs, when you see her in the outfit that she had her handmaiden dress in, it's very reminiscent of the costume that Carrie Fisher wore. I think it was in Empire. And then you've got, again, when she's running through the woods, like you said, reminiscent of Endor, it looks almost like Carrie Fisher from Endor. So they've they've created this character... And the young actress, I think, shines in this. So I'm really pleased that Lucasfilm allowed this to go. And like you say, perfect sleight of hands. They had us looking at Owen and Baru and Luke. And then all of a sudden, the real reason he leaves is because he has to go and rescue Leia. Um, and like you say, he's he's hesitant to do this. But then the interaction with Owen Lars is is perfect suddenly joe edgerton gets a chance to play owen lars the younger owen lars and again you can see him perfectly then almost i believe that he was the older the younger version of the older man that we then see in a new hope and again It goes to show that they've picked some really good actors and Lucasfilm are really good at picking good actors. Um, Seeing the bit with Jimmy Smits and um, I can't remember the actress's name that plays um, his wife, Becca, it's perfect. They work well as a couple and you can generally see that their their love for Leia is a concern. So obviously now Obi-Wan's got all of these parents showing them the concern for the children that he wants to protect. But like you said, then we get this interrogation scene with Owen Lars and you're you're on edge because you're thinking, is Obi-Wan going to have to step in and reveal himself? But at the same time, Owen Lars, you suddenly see... This character that you thought was a simple moisture farmer trying to protect his family. And then you suddenly see he's a very strong man trying to protect his family. And he shows a resilience that a lot of people wouldn't see. And so then I think the character we've seen in New Hope is perfectly built on. So uh, for me, what they've done in the in the last couple of sequences is actually really built on some minor characters from the films, and all of a sudden we're seeing these as the characters and the part that they played in Luke and Leia's lives. So all in all, I think Deborah Chow has done a a brilliant job in this one first episode in bringing us back to the original trilogy.
2: Definitely. Let's go to you. Obviously, you know, after after the sort of the events we just talked about, you know, the I mean, Inquisitors, it has you know, sort of leave Tatooine after they've, you know, well, I mean, Kenobi comes into town and sees that the Jedi's hanging from the streets, um, so they've caught him. Um, Kenobi ends up heading home, where his droid pops up on the ground, flashes red, not blue, so he knows someone's in his house. Yet there's his house or his cave quite sort of slowly, and there's a hooded figure which you know could have went, is it an Inquisitor, is it a Jedi, um, you know, is it a ghost of Anakin? Um, who knows? Um, but it turns out it's Bail Organa. He's gone there in person to tell Kenobi that he needs him. Um, tells Kenobi that you know we've all made mistakes in the past when he let it go. Um, and he reassures Obi Wan that he's the only person he would trust with his daughter's life. Which is a really nice moment. Um and you know, tells Obi-Wan he needs him essentially. And this is gonna get Obi-Wan back in the back in the fight. So what were your thoughts on on Bale coming to Obi-Wan in person and then also what Obi-Wan does next about going into the desert, about finding the lightsabers and then about boarding the transport ready to go finally air.
0: Obi-Wan needed Bale. I don't think he realised how much he needed Bale to turn up uh, until Bale was there, you know, turning around in his fancy Alderaan cape. Um, at this point, you know, uh, of the episode, I think Obi-Wan... Obi-Wan believes, because he's fallen into this mundane routine on Tatooine, because he's fa- he's failed Anakin, and when he sees Nari, which, by the way, is like one of the darkest scenes, I think... Uh, in Star Wars, um, to see a character like that. Um, Obi- Obi-Wan, you know, he thinks he can't protect anybody anymore. He thinks that Luke is like his only shot at redemption because he he's failed so many times. Uh, he he's, he's sort of become scared, I think, to-, to leave the routine he's in because he believes that he's just not cut out for the galaxy anymore because he's hidden himself away and then, you know, Bale comes in and is like, you know, Obi-Wan toughen up, you know you're still a Jedi master at the end of the day and, you know the, the way he's, you know, the way he says you know, sh- about Leia she's just as important as he is oh, say it louder for the people in the back, Bale loves that line Um, and and the way he says, you know you're the only one I would trust with my daughter's life. Beautiful call back there to Rogue One. Um, and I think then Obi-Wan starts to realise that, yeah, he is the only person that Leia could truly rely upon because, you know, if a bounty hunter figured out her force powers, she'd be sent right off to the Inquisitors. So... I think he realizes the precariousness of the situation, and that Leia needs a hero. She needs a Jedi Knight. Um, and then he sort of goes out into this and does a reverse ray. Uh, of he, he finds hit, he, he finds um, the lightsabers he buried. I did. I did wonder when I first watched the scene of how he actually knew where exactly in the desert they were, because all around him is just sand, there's no marker, there's nothing. But then I thought, on the second viewing, he could probably sense the kyber crystals through the Force. But I think that, that scene, whilst he reclaims his lightsaber, it's also another moment of pain for him, because right next to his lightsaber is Anakin's lightsaber, you know, his brother's lightsaber. And, you know, with with that lightsaber comes so many memories. I mean, the last time he saw those lightsabers together before burying them was when he was fighting Anakin. So there's so much um, story written to, into the, these scenes um, and not all of it is spoken. You know, there's all these references uh, and subtle connotations and yeah, this I don't think they, I don't think they could have ended uh, this episode better than the way they did.
2: Yeah, I think I think you hit on the head with all of that. I think next we sort of see, um, Kenobi goes to the spaceport. on Moss um, and you can see him sort of humming and hard about without the on. He's changed his attire a bit. He's you know he's not dressed like a Jedi, but he's he's wearing his, he's wearing a robe that's a bit like the Jedi. He's got the hood up. Um to me this is a bit more of Obi-Wan stepping a little bit back into he's old for myself. I thought it was what they were trying to tell with the wardrobe change. Um it was sort of subtle but powerful. That he's starting to come back around to, to who he is, which I think is beautiful. Um and then we see sort of the woman at the spaceport sort of say, Are you coming or are you not? And you see him think about it, then he decides he's gonna go, which is fantastic. Um and I think we end with Leah's kidnappers contacting the person who's hired them, which is Reva. Reva. Um, and we find out she's the reason why she has had Leah kidnapped is because it's almost not even a master plan, it's almost like a chance of a plan. Like she's that desperate for Kenobi, and she knows Kenobi's only connection is Bail Organa because of the Clone Wars. Um, and so if she steals Bail Organa's child, it might lead to Bail Organa calling for Kenobi for help. So it's very much like a I don't see it as like a master plan where she knew it was going to work. I see it as more of like a a roll of the dice plan that actually ended up coming out sixes. Um but yeah we find out she's the one who's hired Flea in his gang to to kidnap Leah in the hope of drawing out Obi-Wan Kenobi because she wants to capture Kenobi for Veda um for reasons we don't know yet. Again, is it because she wants to become Veda's right hand. Is it because she wants to replace Veda Is it because she wants Veda to set her free from her inquisitor life? Who knows? Um, what were your thoughts on us finding out that it is the third sister who's behind the kidnapping attempt, Jason?
3: It, this bit for me was perfect because obviously now we see that she is more than what she appears to be. There's um, This woman's got a plan. She's come up with this rather devious way of flushing Obi-Wan Kenobi out. Um, And obviously she senses the importance of these children. Um, Obviously that sort of uh, gives us the idea that obviously um, she knows that the Skywalker children exist. So um, if she knows, does Vader know? Um, Skywalker children
0: No, I disagree that she doesn't realise who Leia
3: is. You don't think she she does?
0: No, from what she says in that moment, it's just like she understands that Leia is Bale's daughter
3: and Bale has a
0: connection to
3: um,
0: Obi-Wan, but uh, there's no way she knows that uh, that, uh, that Leia is a Skywalker.
3: I'm reading more into it again. Um, But either way, she's got this devious way of flushing out um kenobi which is funny that she's come up with it and no one has else has um but obviously you know she's a very clever inquisitor or or whatever she's trying to do um so it's her character is almost more devious than the grand inquisitor in this way and i think that'll play out that um Obviously, he's dropped the ball in that he could have used this way. Um, But also, um, you know, it sets it up. Like you said, it's suddenly she's the third most important character in this whole series. Um, Whereas, obviously, it sold us in the trailers that she was important. But I think they sort of, again, sold us the dummy that the Grand Inquisitor was going to be the third important character so it's um it set us up for a lot of interesting stuff leading into episode 2 and then obviously um further into the series definitely Carlos is there anything
2: you want to discuss that we haven't discussed yet about the
3: episode
0: the only thing i have to um quickly geek out about is the eop can i just say how much the cgi has come on since revenge of the sith Oh, my goodness, the EOP was so realistic. I love how they based it on the movements of a camel. Oh, she just felt so much more uh, like a real animal. Um, Like Revenge of the Sith, it was sort of, you could tell it was CGI, but here it just felt so much more natural. Um, And Yeah, so just love what they did with the EOP and the animation there.
2: I wouldn't be surprised if they actually used the camel on set. Then just like added the UOB features, yeah, they did
0: because I think I read somewhere that you and McGregor actually wanted to buy the camel because the camel was so lovely.
3: Jason, have you got any closing thoughts? Um, only I I can't wait to see where this is taking us. Obviously, um, we've got another five episodes to enjoy. Um, there's rumours now that, that. you know, we already know this has been the most successful series so far on Disney+. Plus. Um, I think it's blown everything out of the water. Um, they did a brilliant job of the way they released it. Um, and I, I think the excitement for this series is just building and building. Um, so far, it hasn't really disappointed. You know, it's it's brought in... Like you say, the nice surprise of Princess Leia, um, which I think was a master plan that they sort of hid that um, from everyone. Um, Because with Star Wars, it is hard to keep secrets. I know they're getting better and better at it. Um, But, you know, there's always someone with rumours. But, yeah, um, overall, I just can't wait to see where we're going to go.
2: Definitely. I think for me, I think it was a perfect first episode. You know, we, we got a lot of prequel nostalgia at the beginning. Um, the tragedy of the situation was really hard hitting how you want it to be. Um, Kenobi's broken, but there's a sprinkle of hope left there in him enough to where you can see it sort of grow throughout the episode. And especially at the end there when he's got his sort of robe born, he's got his lightsaber by his side, which they also put in the shot as he boards the spaceship. And it's a bit like, yeah, Kenobi's grown a little bit. Almost if the light's getting a little bit brighter. And hopefully as the series goes on, it'll get more brighter and more brighter until we see him become the Jedi Master he once was. Um, I think for me, perfect that, you know, the reason he would leave Tatooine would be for Luke or Leia. And and that's where he's going. Um, I'm excited to see what Reva's all about. There's something going on there. And I can't wait to find out if it's, you know, is she wanting to be the big evil? Or is she wanting to maybe get free of it all? Or is there any other reason there? And I think because she's playing it so well at the minute, it could be any one of these possibilities. So it's, you know, it's keeping us as people in the edge of our seats her performance, which is fantastic. Kat, have you got any closing thoughts on the episode?
0: I just think I just think the first episode of Kenobi took the high ground.
2: <laughs> very well put, very well put. Um yeah, I think you know appearances from a sort of legendary cast. You know, we had we had got Jimmy Schmitz back as Bill Lagana, who I thought was fantastic. Obviously, we've seen him in Rogue One, but he was back here again, just fit straight back into the role perfectly. Um, I thought you know Joe Egged like, in his own laws, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, not too much to do here, but the bits he did do was fantastic. Um, yeah, I think you know it. The show is only go, going to go from strength to strength, especially as it goes on, and we, you know, as Vee, I guess, introduced and, you know, we learn we learn more about Reva's backstory. It's only going to get more and more exciting. Um, Jason, if you've got no other further thoughts, do you want to let the people know where they can find you on social media?
3: Oh, do you know what? It's been so long since I've done this; I almost forgot. Um, it's at Hondo Ling, um, or obviously at Jason Ling Photography. Uh, that's probably the best way to touch base.
2: Definitely. And Kat, any closing thoughts on where can people find you on social media?
0: Oh, the, I think the series is promising so much for prequel and original trilogy fans. Um, you can find me at Cat Kylo on Twitter. Uh, always happy to talk anything Star Wars, Kylo Ren related. Always happy to geek out.
2: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jordy Jedi Pete. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Bo's Star. You can find the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at star Wars Podcast. If you are listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, um, and you haven't already, please leave us a top review, five-star review, nice little comment. Gainless helps people find the podcast, helps us move us up the lists, and also helps us attract guests. Um if you're listening on a different platform or has a rating system, again, please just take a moment to give us a top rating. Um, it really does mean the world to us and it really does help us out in sort of moving up those lists and people having better visibility and finding us. Um, but yeah, that is all from this episode of Star Wars. I hope you've all enjoyed the episode. I hope you're all enjoying Kenobi. Obviously, plenty more Kenobi reviews to come. May the Force be with you all. And remember, always tell that to Kenja Club.
0: Hello Star Wars listeners, this is Savannah Odit. You might know me as host of The Dorky Diva Show with my co-host Brian Balance. I am also producer of The Adventures of the Dart which is a Star Wars inspired audio drama that we produced over the last year. If you love stories uh, about smugglers, courage, heroic characters, and maybe a few foes along the way, you should go to thedorkydivashow.com and listen to The Adventures of the Dart today. Shout! We've got your pigs.
3: Were any of the critters harmed? What did you do now?
1: I didn't do anything! I just freaked out for no reason! It was nice doing business with you again. Maybe next time we could deliver something less. Uh, temperamental.
3: <laughs> now, what you call temperamental, I call fun!
1: Hey, is there a place nearby where I can make some repairs?
3: Uh, oh yeah, three clicks south of here, you'll find a small spaceport. Uh, they, they should have what you need, as long as it's nothing too big.
1: Dynamic class! My stars, you don't hear about many of those still being spaceworthy. It's been in my family for a while. She's pretty great. Uh, any chance you have a
2: hover cart we can use to load up?
1: I'll check out the holonet to see if anything new has come up in the sector.
2: My name is Sereth Korn. I am the chief here on Kamai. My people and I have been experiencing food shortages out of late due to unforeseen natural occurrences. We are looking to hire someone.
1: I say we take this one. The pay is great and it's the type of job we're familiar with.
2: Welcome, welcome. You must be Captain Otoa. I've already sent word to Paktu to expect you in the next cycle or so.
1: You told him we were coming before we even accepted the job. That's rather presumptuous, isn't it?
2: Uh, perhaps, though, uh, once I received confirmation that you were interested and on your way here, I couldn't help but hope.
1: Fair enough. Well, we'll be back as soon as we can.
3: Well, that's not good. Is that blaster fire I hear? Ah, so you're the one.
2: Captain, it sounds
1: like they want to do this the hard way.
3: I love when they got some fight in them.
2: Oh, this is bad.
1: This is bad. We're about to have a lot of company.
0: I'll see you soon.